I'm talking to Angela McGrath. And Angela, what's your full postal address here as a matter of interest? If I was writing to you, what would I how would I send it? Angela McGrath, Hillside, Old Fingless Road, Fingless Bridge, Dublin eleven. We mustn't forget the Fingless Bridge. No. I'm eighty five. Well the reason I'm talking to you is because you used to live in a little oasis. I think it's a little oasis here. Uh, and if anybody knows this, if you travel down on the carriageway from the M50 down through Finglas, and as you get to the bottom of the hill before the Royal Oak, and if you took a left-hand turn, and just as you turn left, look into the left, and you'll see three little cottages, and it was one of those, I think you were born in there, were you? Well, it's all one. It's all one house. Oh, is it? It's all one house there. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, it's all one house. There's... Uh, three bedrooms in it, a kitchen and a sitting room in that house and it's a couple of hundred years old. My goodness. And that's where you were born? Well, I was born at the Redund. <laughs> well, <laughs> But I, I went to school in the Holy Faith in Glasnevin. Right. And I had three sisters. Yeah. Now, just before we even go back into your early days, can you bring me back into your parents' days and can you remember what they used to talk about about the district was like before even you came along? Well, my father was the eldest of a family. Dowlings was the name. And uh, his granny was a Granny Smith. The mother was a Smith. And there was a big family of them. And Granny Smith, he went to live with Granny Smith and she lived over about a half an hour's walk from Finglas Bridge and it was over at Broom Bridge. And... Uh, they were in, in sheep farmers and my father lived with her for quite a while and uh, the rest of the family all grew up at home but uh, my granny grandmother's name was Mary Ann Smith before she got married and she was belonging to a family of I think it was three brothers and two sisters and they all lived locally and they all worked for themselves they all did something no matter what it was. They were in the horse business and they were in the cattle business and we were... <laughs> so your father is Dowling? Is, my is father is Dowling, yeah. My father is Dowling. Yeah. George Dowling. And he's from the area himself. He would have been oh yeah, he was always. Yeah, he was yeah. always. And what about your mother then? What's her background? My mother's, my mother's name was Kyo. Christina Kyo. And her father was from Athcath, County Meath. And he married, married my grandmother, which was Mary Jane Maguire. And she was the eldest of a big family. And <clears throat> it was in the 1800s, of course. And she married very young. And the rest of the family went off to America. There was, I think, nine of them. There was 10 of them all together and she got married. And the rest of them went off to America on a boat. And I don't know exactly where they landed. I don't know anything about that. But those letters in my grandmother's house, that were so precious that I never got a look at them. And I was once I knew that her family had gone to America, I was dying to read some of the letters. But they were in a little black box and I wasn't cheeky enough to say well let me see them because they were so precious that they were hers she lived to be 84 years of age and she's buried in Fingers graveyard and my grandfather died about six months later and he was the same age and both of them are buried up in Fingers graveyard and she had one sister that was in love with a man by the name of Brady before she went away and I don't know how she got back but she scrambled back some way and she married him and she's buried and she married the Brady and she's also buried in Fingless Graveyard but the rest of them is wherever they are they're spread all over America Going back now to your very early memories what are the first things that you remember that you can go back you know? <clears throat> well, My father had a dairy yard here and we supplied the milk by can we had two ponies Kitty, and we just step in float, and he milked the cows every morning about five o'clock in the morning, and I was the eldest of the family, and I had three more sisters and two brothers. I know when I was a child there was plenty of hens, ducks, geese, 
goats, pigs and pet lambs. And uh, he milked about 25 cows. And then he had dry stock that was out in the winter time. And I remembered the year that the foot and mouth broke out. I was 21 years of age and I was working. And the foot and mouth broke out not too far away from our place. And it broke out in the month of January. And by the month of... My mother used to sit up in bed every night praying that it wouldn't come near us. And of course, everybody was very upset to think that it was in the area, not alone anywhere else, but it was near us. But we avoided it until the 17th of March. Yeah, that would have been 1941 then. 1941, yeah. Yeah. That's right, 41, I remember. And I remember my father coming into the yard one morning, out of the yard one morning, into the kitchen. And I... My mother wasn't in the kitchen at the time. She was up in the bedrooms or somewhere. Children were all young. And he brought me over to the yard and he said, Angela, he said, look what's on the wall. And the cattle were all tied with chains and the trucks were in front of them. And this black animal was in the corner beside another one. And on the wall was like as if you were after with, from the animal's breath, it was gone like all damp. And he showed me, that's it, he said. She's trying, she's, her tongue is full of blisters and she's breathing out and uh, making the wall damp. And to cool her tongue, she was licking her foot. And that's how it's called foot and mouth. I came in, he he didn't tell my mother because my mother and himself were so happy and so united and they were, she, he she had a, he had a pet name on her. She was a fine looking woman with a fine family and had everything going for her, but her pet name he had was Tiny. Her, Her first name was Christine. But any time he spoke to her, he called her Tiny. And he didn't want Tiny to know that it was in the yard because she gets so upset. And I got up on the bicycle, as he told me, to go up to report it to the Finglas barracks, to the guards in Finglas. At that time, there was about four guards up there. Guard O'Reardon, I think it was, was the sergeant. And he knew everybody because we had only a small community, both in Finglas and in Finglas Bridge at the time, and he knew nearly everybody personally. And I said, they didn't go around in cars then, they went around on a bike, and they had a great relationship with the people. They were all one. And I went to that barracks that morning and told them, and you could nearly see the tears coming in their eyes when they'd heard. And I came home, and I w- we were quarantined then. We weren't allowed out. And the vets, and I can't remember who else came around, but I know there was a hill below. And I said, in a very short time, they were there for a couple of days. <clears throat> for the simple reason is, the foot and mouth had spread so much that they were queuing up at the army lorries up the road from where, I, where I'm sitting now, opposite the dairy, but the dairy wasn't there at the time. It was, I can't remember exactly that. But Mr. Gleason's land across the road from us, about two minutes walk up, there was a laneway and the army was after digging some place of a hole, I don't know what it was, but they were bringing up the army lorries and they were shooting the animals down into the hole and putting quick climb on them. And we could hear them before we got the disease at all. We could hear the cattle at night time when they were queuing up with the lorries, moon. And my mother, and it would shake you. And of course, we were only young compared to my mother. But when it came to us, our place, it was just desperate. And I remember Father Russell was a parish priest in Finglas. 
And he found out the day that our place was going to be emptied. Emptied, when I say empty, I mean everything. And he came down and he sat with me mother. The lorries came in. Now, there was no people allowed into our house because we were quarantined. We had the disease. But he was there and... uh, Because everybody knew each other, you know. Everyone knew each other. And we had carpets outside the door full of uh, Jay's fluid and baths full of Jay's fluid. And you couldn't get in or out anywhere, you know. Oh, no, on the far side of the road, no clerks, which is where the pitch and put was over there. That was a dairy yard at that time with a couple of hundred cattle. They were gone. And there was lots of people on the far side of the road, but we were on the right side. They were the, the left side was coming from from the city of Dublin over the bridge. They were the fir- they were the first in this area to get it, and then it moved on up that that side of the road, and then we got it on our side of the road. But anyway, um, they were taken by the army lorry, and they were loaded up, and they were brought up very very short distance up the road back though but I remember my mother I was the eldest you know now that was when you were 21 but go back before that and start your as again your early memories as you remember your your early days in school I do yeah and there was a, we went to the Holy Faith Convent School and we were the country ones <laughs> from when you think about it I mean you're only two miles from the city really aren't you about three miles yeah we were miles. in County Dublin Corporation didn't move out here until after I got married I was married in 1949 yeah and the Corporation moved out started to move out after the war and it was we were still on rationing then because when I got married I had the wedding reception at home I mean the marquee and that was the time there was no hotel business in that time and uh, you had to have everything and we went up to Craigie's which was the Merville Dairy up to Mr Craigie myself and a friend and we got a big roll of butter from him because we couldn't get butter it was rationed yes because all the stuff went out of Ireland to help the but yeah and the fact that like and this was his uh, he understood your situation but he knew us they all knew us because we were selling our milk into them uh, no we were selling it when we delivered the milk in Dublin, we delivered to Connaught Street, Munster Street, Ulster Street, and around by Fibbersborough and down the borough and down right down to uh, Broadstone. Right. And then we come back. So, so, so you you had your dairy and you didn't you just we milked the cow and you did milk and you distributed that milk to your own customers to our own customers. Yeah, to our own my father and he had, and often that's how I knew so much about him I used to go with my father I was the eldest and I'd often I'd get often be up on the, on I, the I'd float. often go off I'd often get into the float with Kitty Pony and I'd drive the pony along with him we were very close well in that time t- children did everything when you were belonged to a family like that yeah. but we were, everybody around here worked for themselves yes, yeah. there was nobody there was um, Merville was a great place for the simple reason is it was them that employed the people at that time. You know, they were lot of, and there was horses delivering the milk. Like we were delivering it with our pony, yeah. and they had their own customers. You and, know, and you didn't have bottles. So what way did you dispense the milk? We had a cooler in the yard. We had a proper cooler. See, that was why the county council inspectors came out to every every dairy to see that everything was in order that everything was properly looked after. And then the milk would be cooled and left to cool for a while. And then it was put into big churns and put into the, the cart, the step-in float. And then you had milk cans with a snout on it and you delivered them and you got a pint, a quarter, a half a gallon or what, twice a day. They delivered twice a day then. And we used to go down to the prison cottages, as we called them, there were the prison houses belonged to Mount Joy, and I knew, knew my father knew everybody that lived in them because they were all prison officers at that time. And there was a great friend of his would always have a cup of tea on the table, and her name was Mrs. Berry. And she always had a crack with my father when he'd go in and that, you know, and that was his last customer. And then he'd come on home and he called to the North City Mills, which was right there opposite bushes you know the mills there at the canal oh right right at the canal 
Yeah. That was a mill. Mm. That was a mill there. They used to take in the wheat and all. And he used to call in there and bring home flour and wheat meal and stuff for the cattle and all in the cart on the floor of it. And he'd be coming home so many days a week for the house. There was no, we had no very little transport out of here. You had to have your own transport to get into town. There was no bank in Finglas at that time. The, the Royal Bank in Fibbersborough was the one then, and now that's gone. It was rolled over to Allied Irish in our time. And then we got a bus. I can't exactly remember the well, whole... the trams have not come out by Glasnevin at all, no. the, tra- the trams came to the Holy Faith in Glasnevin, and there was a man on them. It was a penny, one penny, to get on the tram when we'd come out of school and we were going up to Fibbersborough. When we, when we were about 10 year old, we might be allowed to go up to Fibbersborough for to get messages. And Mr. Borden would know us because we had the uniform on us. And uh, he, we, we would get out and we would go for whatever message we had to get. And then we'd come back on the tram and we would walk from Glasnevin home. And on the Glasnevin road, there was no houses. Cremor wasn't built at that time. Well, Yes, it was before I left school. They started to build, and it was a Mr. Strain that was the man that was building the houses. And he was a big, tall man with a slouch hat. And he used to clap his hands when he'd see three or four of us running. And he'd say, time up, time up, because we had to be in at nine, into the nuns. And that was the mother house for the Holy Faith. All the nuns entered there. And it was quite... And they kept borders over there at that time. And it was all nuns, all young girls going in to be nuns. And they had the black veil first for so long. And then they entered the white veil and then they were professed. And I remember going through that school and we used to know when the professions and all was on. And there was hundreds of nuns in it then. But that was the mother house where they entered. Are they, were they, could you describe your school days as happy days? Were they happy days? Yes, and I learned, I learned music in school and I played the violin in school. And my mother used to come over, and there was a nun by the name of Sister Hilda, which was very, she was a beautiful person, very pleasant, loved the music and taught music in school to all the girls that was going to music. And I went to music, and I was belonging to a little orchestra there, and we used to play at the drill displays and in many of the concerts. And that was it. And um, getting away from that part of it, my first child was born in 1950, was it? Yeah, 50. And that Christmas of 1950, he was born in a nursing home. And my husband and myself and godfather and godmother, we went to St. Canis's in Finglas to have him christened before I could come home to my own home. That was the usual then. You didn't bring home your child anywhere until it was baptised. And when I went up to Finglas at 12 o'clock to have him christened on a Christmas Eve, who was up in the choir? Only Sister Hilda. And I hadn't seen Sister Hilda from the time I had left school. And she came down to see the baby. And when she saw me as a mother, she nearly passed out. And I had a great relationship with her after. I used to bring him over to see her. It was a little boy, Sean. And I used to bring him over to see her. But I have lovely memories of Finglas. On a Christmas Eve, he was baptised. And he was born on the 16th of December and he was baptised in Finglas on the eve of Christmas. And no, Christmas, they were practising for Christmas well, yes. when I when I went in, yeah. yeah. I was right. Now, yeah. So it was very much a, a village, a village community. There was only two, two masses, half past eight and eleven, and Father Russell would be standing on the steps of that church that we know now at the moment. I never remember being in the old old church. In 1922, they left that, and they went up to the new church. The barn church was there on the Ballygall Road, and then they built the new church. And when I was young, I used to collect with my sister, Sheila, in this area, Finglas Bridge, now not up in the village, down around here, and it took us across from where we're living now. And my sister, I would go down by the Rye Oak, right around, and up, as we called it, the back lane. And we'd go to all the houses. It's called Ballyboggan Road now. 
and there was a few good houses up there and they were very generous and we'd get something every Sunday and have a chat and we'd go on up the road quite a bit and meet Finnegan's there was Finnegan's there was Ryas there was Connors and the house that I spoke about that had the foot and mouth they had left it at that time but they uh, we did go earlier but they were they never never restocked they left the left that area where the foot where I told you about Clark's the foot and mouth broke out no they never they left that now there was a tragedy happened after that there it was sold and it was a man by the name of Gaffney bought it and he was superintendent or something in the police now I don't know what he was but his son went to live in it and he married an O'Malley from Galway and there were bride and groom I think going in there but she had one lovely little boy and he was a doctor and she had another little thing in the pram and the first thing that happened was I can't remember where which the terrible tragedy happened she was out walking with the pram and it was in the autumn time and the leaves were it was full of trees up the avenue and she was coming down the avenue and the little fellow ran in front of her and he went into a bunch of leaves and instead of going into the leaves he went into the river and she couldn't get him out and he was drowned and he was only about two or three and her husband was killed in plane crash the only plane crash hit a, hit, a, hit a mountain or something I don't know the details of that but she, we never saw her after and she used to come around the village here and talk to everybody at that time but she only lasted over there about four years or five years the house is still there and it was occupied then by Macaulay's and it's still there now and it's it was a golf course for quite a while after that the and, and there, yeah, yeah and now it's um now it's Fingless Woods. Yes. It's called Fingless Woods. And is there an original house still there? The old house is still there, yeah. All right. And I, I can't tell you much about that because I haven't been in touch over that way because we're gone into a new world. Absolutely. <laughs> we're gone into a new world. Like you're also proud of the fact they like to identify here as Fingless Bridge. What well, was that bridge the same bridge that's there now? What oh yes. It was widened. That's right. the only thing it was done with, was widened. Right. But that's the Talcher. The Talcher goes under that. It was never a humpback bridge, was it not? No. No. Not that I remember, but I must tell you this, which I think is, I'd love to see it happening again. When the people down here, anybody died, and they, they died, most people died in their own, in their own home then. And it, it has, it's Ballyboggan Road now. Yes. Valley Boggan Road. Yeah. And that brought us over to Broom Bridge. Yes. And they used to have the crossroad dancing over there. Really? Yeah. And every was no no there was no picture house. There was no nothing. And Jackie Callahan was his name. And he was very fond of the old melodian. And at that time there was no televisions. And the young people They'd be saying, are you coming over tonight? Are you coming over tonight? And five or six young people around the age of about 16 or so would go over. And then it got very popular. And in the summer nights, they'd have a great crowd. And we used to dance over there on, on the crossroads. And it was a little village then. And there was an old pub in it called the Jolly Topers. And it had closed down. And that... that I made inquiries then about the new Jolly Topers that's up in the village, and I believe that's the licence belonging to it. Ah, yes, that's the connection. And all the, all the carts and all would be able to stop over there, that we bring their stuff into the market with hay and turnips and all, and it'd go into, Jolly, into the Jolly Topers and they'd get a sandwich early in the morning and give their horses a break and go on again. Very good. Because you were near Dublin here, just on the on the the gates of it, you would have seen a lot of traffic coming up that road. I mean, a lot of produce being brought into the markets. Would you? Yeah, and and when I'd be going to work, um, now we went 
to school that way. Yeah. But we go the main road going to my do- my sister Sheila worked in Arnott's. She hadn't to be in till nine, but I had to be in at eight. And you worked in Arnott's there? No, I didn't work in Arnott's. I worked in the Irish Carton Printers connected with players there. Right. So all we did was the I don't know whether you remember or not, was the card little cards in the boxes. Printed the little card, Dexa cards that went into all the boxes for the cigarettes. Do you remember players? Yeah. And do you remember then there'd be birds and there'd yeah. be airplanes and all. Well, we were doing that was the printing end of it. If only you could get your hands on a few of those now. I know. They're all collectors items. I know, I know, I know. But um, it was a very, very good job too. I mean, a lovely bonus every year. And uh, I must tell you this: there was a lovely canteen in it, and uh, it was. Um, it was a new factory, really, that started because the tariffs went on. Devalier put on the tariffs and lots of the factories made their own stuff here then. And that's what brought the bit of work in here first. And then Players was making the cigarettes beside it and we had them. Then they opened this and I was coming 18 or 19 and I applied and I had to wait. But then my father got to put in the milk into the canteen. And he used to bring in a big can of milk every day into it, you know. Mm. But it was all loose milk. There was no bottles then. Yeah. No bottles then. Yeah. And uh, Would you remember, just under this point of interest, how much, can you remember the price of a pint of milk? Two, two pence and a halfpenny. Two and a half p a pint. Yeah. And it was two shillings for sirloin, two shillings and sixpence, two shillings and fourpence, old money, for... Sirloin steak. Downs in Fibbersborough. Downs was a bakery, and you got two loaves for f- two loaves was eight pence. T- t- like the steam would be coming out of them, and there'd be just two loaves, fine loaves, lovely, well baked for eight pence, four pence each. Very good. I remember that well. <coughs> My mother baked most of our time. Most of our what, what our family eats. She, well, we did have a loaf on and off. She was a terrific cook, and we had our own fowl, our own eggs, and we did the buttermilk, and she made our own butter. And we used to have a dash churn, not not a, a, a barrel churn, it was a, with a dash up and down. So and how, how did that operate now? A barrel won't, the barrel revolved. No, no, uh, the barrel, yeah, you, yes, but not we hadn't one of them. We had a dash churden, it was like a wooden churden, wooden, and it had a big long dash in the center of it with like <coughs> a flat wheel in the bottom of it. And you put in the put down the lid on the top of the like a pole uh, 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 like like a brush yes and and it was instead of a brush being at the bottom it was a flat uh, like a flat wheel flat wheel right. and you 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 put you put uh, down the 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 thing and then you put down the barrel down and, and it was all tight and then you'd see the butter coming up on the top of the when you keep dashing because the butter it start to make and it would come up on the We'll say the handle of the brush. Right. And when you see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. <laughs> yes. And he's a lovely now that you're talking about Seamus Anderson. He's a lovely mother. He's a lovely mother. Really? He's a lovely mother. And he's sisters. My sister, my young sister, still alive, she'd know more about him than I did because he was her vintage. He wouldn't be as old as me. Really? I wouldn't say so. He was we mixed with her, them younger because he used to go to the dances up in the hall and all. And I used to run some of the dances, and he'd help. But ah, he was great. He was a great character. I remember him going around when this started first, going around all the homes in Ireland, and he recording. And he was the very ma- first man to start that. That's right. He was. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And he was recording before they had recorders, and he had to he write went, down the music. He went to uh, he went to Vincent School, but he was music always, and the voice of him. He had a terrific voice, and he had a couple of sisters. 
I can't remember an awful lot. I can see the sisters, but I can't remember much to talk about them, you know. You lived up on the Jamestown Road in a lovely old house up there. And they were there for years and years and years, a lovely family. And we were in County Dublin then, and that's what I say, everybody knew each other, but nobody knows anyone now. We're just, what would I, what do they call us? Uh, a ball bearing in a wheel. <laughs> that's what they call us You're now. residents now, you're just residents. But everybody knew it, and those it, the, the hair down, they'd be down into the house here like lightning. Yeah. Or they'd be up, and my mother, if there was somebody sick, my mother would go up to see what's wrong, and all. and if they had to stay up for a few hours at night time, they'd all the people at all divide up the time, and oh, and they bring this thing and that thing, men living on their own, and all that. But that's all gone. Nothing left. You were saying. You were asking his, me something that time. You were saying about his mother, Seamus and his mother. You're, you're, you're she, she was. She the, was very. Yeah, she was. She was very elegant in her way. She. Uh, I can't tell you an awful lot about her now. I'd be afraid in my life. I wouldn't be saying things right. I'd have to ask my sister. I know she used to go to America, but I, I don't know much about that end of it. Now, I don't know as much about Seamus now because uh, he was up there, and uh, I knew him. I dan- We danced with him, and. He was always into the Irish music, and there was a, and there was another man by the name of Tommy Duke, and he lived in St Margaret's, and he used to teach the crowd up in the hall to do all their plays, the Damson from Dublin. That was some of the plays that he, and they put them on up there and all. Like, it was terrific. Nobody doing that up there now. She could walk from Finglas up to Kappa. And it's all you see about two or three farmhouses. And there is a story about that, I must tell you. Uh, when Kappa was in the year, I'd say, 49, 59, I'd say it was about 1959, Father Furlong, that's in that photograph there, used to say Mass in Kappa for the nuns and the patients, which was a TB, nearly a TB home then for children, like with... TB and it was a lovely spot because to be out in the sun and all that and beds and all and they have the the altar from O'Connell Bridge during the 1929 is up there and there'd be but at this time it wasn't there at this time that I'm going to tell you about I don't think it was moved up there that time maybe it was but I can't remember but I remember Joe Keane the Lord be good to him he had a lovely wife and come from a very well-thought-of family. And he had a lovely house there where the barracks is now, opposite the barracks, but it's gone now, the house. It was a lovely, good old house, kept in lovely repair. And he kept a few animals in the back, but he had a very good job as well. He had his own butcher shop. And he kept pigs. And, of course, he had no boar. And he had to bring it up to Kappa, up to a fellow by the name of Miley Byrne. And Miley lived near the hospital, you see. Right. And Joe got the creels and the yoke and loaded up the pig with a bit of help from this fellow by the name of Murphy. And Murphy was a hard old route, but was delighted to go with him. So they loaded up the pig about half eight and they put it in and they came down the green. You know where we're talking about the green? Yes. And they went straight up, there was no house, only in the green. They went straight up the Capper Road. And who did the meet coming down the road with the bicycle and two dogs? And he walked, and only that priest father furlong. And when he saw the horse coming up, flying, and he got like this out, and he asked the type of man he was, he put out his hand in the middle of the road and he stopped. Where are you going on a Sunday morning? You know, now, Sunday was the Sabbath day. What had you on the road this on a Sunday morning and Murphy being who he was said well father she couldn't go yesterday she couldn't go tomorrow and she had to go today yes yes well do you know what he looked at him he said there'll be a curse that's wrong he said and he went off about his business and Joe Joe came came down to us a short time after. I think he came down that evening or something and said it to John, what do you think of that, says Joe? He said, it would be a course. And John, the man doesn't understand. 
the man doesn't understand, my husband said. Yeah. And they didn't want to let me hear it. Yes. At that time. He didn't talk yes, like that at yes, that time. Yes, yeah. And uh, he didn't want to let me hear it. And John came down to the kitchen to me then and he said to me, Joe, Joe talking about John, he had a cup of tea and hours and all. And of course, I played on Joe, what he said, the course, you know. But anyway, John came and he said, What do you think of him? He said, Is the man in his right senses? No, I said, He's not in his right senses to say that. I said, The man doesn't understand. I said, It's all he knows is religion. He doesn't understand anything else. Um, I took photographs up here in Finglas, it could have been the 70s or the 80s. And that pub on the left hand side was called the Duck Inn. Now, before that, it was one the Widow Scanless. One was Nelly Floods on the right hand side in our time. Yeah. When we were kids. And the other was the Because she married, that was a re- they were two relations. Right. They were two relations. And they lived in Gofton Hall. Right. I think she's still alive, the Widow. Well, up to last year or so. She, but she's not up there. She, I think she went back to Limerick or somewhere. Really? But she sold it. Really? Yeah, and that's where Mary's is now. You know, Mary's the Mary's the sweet shop. Oh yeah. And and, and uh, where where uh, Iceland is. Yeah. That was that was the pub, and that's where the old barracks was. The wooden barracks that I went up to report. Sergeant uh, Reardon was the man. That's right. That was, yeah, yeah, when you were appointed. And then time. there was another man. Well, well, tell you what. Can you just take me up the village? And describe to me when you left your house and started walking past Merrill Dairy and walked up then, as you got close to the village, what, what did you see? What came into view? When, when we got up to Merrill Dairy there, on the left-hand side, there was the woods, Fingless Woods. Right. And you went up and you went up to, we used to call them Nods. That was the Craig. There was a big family of the Craigies and they were all scattered all around, rearing their families. And that lady had all sons and two daughters, three daughters, big crowd of sons, and she lived up at the top of the Fingless Woods, St. Helene. It's, it's still there, the house. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. And she was such a lovely old lady that we were just the villagers, and she used to come for a walk in the summer's evening, and if there was anybody with a new baby or expecting a baby, she'd go in and sit with them. And she'd talk to them and she'd bring down a present with them. And she was the best in the world. She was really terrific. And she'd all them sons, Robert and a whole crowd of sons and three daughters. That was that's, that was on your left hand side. And on your right hand side, there was people by the name of Coates's. <clears throat> that was there for years and years and years. And at the back of Coates's, there was a golf course. But it was gone out of being then. But my son has a photograph of the golf course that he bought at an auction and he has it in his house and you can see the remains of the of the where of the golf course. Yeah. You went on up then and you came to George Craigie's house on your right. And that was he built a house there and one of his sons was in the army. Uh, the Irish Army, a captain or something, and the other one went to be a clergyman. I don't know whether he'd any, I don't think he'd any daughters. And he went up then to a place we used to call it Stampsfield. And that's where we used to have the Ariox. Now, the Ariox was like a sports, but we called it an Ariox. And that had had a big dancing board up on stilts, and that the Irish dancing and all the Irish music and all when we were kids. And that was a huge, big, big field that would be open for just for that. That was near George Craigie's, the second Craigie house. And he went on then up, and there's a whole Derham's, that's the big house now that they're using for opposite. I can't, you know where the ma- where uh, Terence Christie's is? Where they made the shoes? Yes. <laughs> the house on its own, Towson. Towson. That, was a lodge, a lodge, a back lodge, going into a private asylum. The main road wasn't there at that time, it was all fields. Are you with me? Yes. There was a back lodge going in there, into a private asylum, in the English time, and it was still there when we were going to school. 
And I remember one morning that we were going over to school over the back road here. A, a lovely young lady, which wasn't in her right mind, was running across with a nightdress on her. And they were fl- trying to find flying after she got out of the place and they were asking us did we see her but we saw the woman running but we didn't we were so innocent but they catered for a lot for northern ireland for for the people from up that direction it was a private asylum and it was run by the how would i say are you see is that well, no, but maybe uh, the other the Church of Ireland, yeah. some, some religious connection. Yeah, but it wasn't, we weren't under the free state at that time. No, no. And, and the main lodge was where Janelle is now. All oh, right. The main lodge was in there, and the back lodge was where Towson's house is. And on the opposite side of the road was a huge big farmer's by the name of Derham's. And they employed an awful lot of farm workers and they had an awful lot of land and they used to supply turnips. They had a lot of horses. Everything was horse and car then. There was no lorries, horse and car. And they had turnips and potatoes and all and they'd be going into the market and they'd have to come out onto the, onto another, onto the road there. And that was the main road then. There was no other road. They broke that new road right up to pass by the village of Finglas. Did you know that? Yes, yeah. Now, what else? Then up on your right-hand side. Now we're coming into the bottom yeah, of the village now. Yeah. Uh, Dulcie Flood was the daughter. That was Flood's pub too. Flood's. The same as Finglas. Nellie's was at the top and the son was at the bottom. Well, uh, brother. I don't know whether he was a brother or not, but it was another Flood. And he married a big tall lady and she had a lovely daughter by the name of uh, Dulcie. I don't know whether they'd anymore or not. But my father used to have cattle out on land in the summer months for the... He wouldn't be keeping them in. And we had land up the Ballygall Road. And he used to milk at night time. And when he'd be coming back at night time in the dairy car, he'd have the old dog sitting in the dairy car and he'd always stop outside the pub. And he'd knock at the door about 12 o'clock at night and your man would be inside the door and he'd give him his half and his drink and he'd get back in the yoke and off he went and he was doing that for an awful long time and one night Sergeant Reardon was standing around and he had the pup, he had the pony stopped and when my father saw the sergeant of course he wouldn't go near the door and the next thing is he kept shouting after him and shouting at him and he didn't hear him and the next night uh, when my father stopped and went in Miss Floods uh, said, uh, said to him you're not to be afraid of him he said you were out hard work and you were deserving of what you were to get but you respected him you wouldn't do it in front of him so he says you can come anytime you like now he said and you won't be offending anybody he says and but he didn't, my father went off about his business, but he left word to give him the drink. And uh, he went up the hill then, and there was three or four houses with steps up to them. And the man that looked after Fingless Graveyard, Cummins was his name. He was one man that lived there all his lifetime. Cummins is his name. Yeah. And uh, he had another man there was another people by the name of Angers lived there and Wises lived there. That was all houses. And then them people were moved out of that. Now Cummins died and Anger died and the Wises is still alive, some of them, and they're living over in Fingers Park. And uh, that's where their apartments is. And on the opposite side was Montgomery's, the butchers, right on the corner. And there was a little river coming along there as you walked up to the graveyard. When you come to the corner where you see the TBS now, that was a, that was a butcher's, a family butcher's that everybody went to. And he supplied both Fingers Bridge and St. Margaret's and because it was the only butcher shop. And he was very well known and his family was there. And you walked up then up to the you went over a little river, a little bridge, and up to the 
graveyard and on the other side there was a house called the White House. That was that's a new road that's built there, you know. That was never a road. That was that was just a house, a farmyard too. And we went up then and then those kooks. Kooks and uh, who else and Bordy Murray had a shop right where the funeral parlour is now. And her parents died. <coughs> and she had a she had a friend and he was a Jew man. And he used to help her to run the shop. I remember that. And everyone used to go in, excuse me. And then we went on. And right in the middle of the town, where you see um, Dick McKee's memorial, where the taxis are, there was a little house there on its own. And we used to call, I don't know whether they'd like this or not, um, Christy was her name. Christy was the name. But they used to call her Red Nelson or Christy. She had lovely auburn hair, but she had a lovely daughter. Yeah, she had a lovely daughter. And she lived there. And she was right nearly outside the chapel, do you understand? And where the bank is, there was two or three small houses, and they were Emmets. A descendant of them is in those houses across the road. Now, I mean, she's about 45 or 50, but it's a descendant, a son. And they were, it was Georgie, Georgie, it was Emmets. And then there was a hill there, you went down the hill, and there was a big, big house, and it was called Gladeview House, and it was there, a dairy man, be the name of Lawler. Bill Lawler lived there. Now, you're around the corner, you're gone out, out of, you're, you're not gone out of the town now, but it was a little bridge was there, that river was coming down, and it came down there, and it came out of the bottom, at the back of where the... Where the, the the Abbey is, the old... Yeah, well, right down. It's covered in, you know, there, and it's right yes. down. And it's all covered in still, but it's still running. Of course. It's still running. And uh, then you went up the green. Now, there was no such thing as um, those houses on the green. What do you call them? Where Dr. Feagan lived. you know those houses there on your right? On the right. Are we still going... Have we... Have we have we taken the yeah, turn you're left turned, at the yeah, you've turned, yeah. the cross and you're, and you're the gone, and you're, and you're gone. down that road. You're gone, yeah. It's like a little, yeah, and yes. over the bridge. Yes. And then you have Gladeview House. Yes. And then you went on from, that's where they're going to build now. They're building apartments or something on it now. But it was a coal yard or something. Now you're with me. And oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And you went on then. And then the And then that was a little, left. and that yeah. was a little hamlet there of houses. All lovely houses, and there was people by the name of Floods lived in it. A Flood, Mick Flood, and he was an ex-British Army man. And sometimes he'd go off the beam because he was after being shell shocked, and that's how we knew his name so well. Uh, Mick, Flood, I don't Flood, I know was the second name, and then those Christies, and uh, there was a couple of Christie families there, and there was wait now. We used to call another woman. She used to wear a big four, and we used to call her half a cow. Because <laughs> she used to wear the big four. We had nicknames on them all when we were kids. And uh, then, right face, there was Johnston's, where the pub is built. And that was a dairy yard, and it was Johnston's. Now, this is the Jolly Toper. Yes. So. And then, right in front of you, then, <coughs> Right, you have a laneway then, and that was called the Blind Lane. Now I'll talk about that in a minute. After, the laneway was there, and and the churchyard was there. The church, the graveyard is there. And right in front was the old convent belonged to the Holy Faith nuns, and there was a sister Dorici there, and she used to teach the private school kids in in a room adjoining it but the nuns lived there and then they bought the other place where Craigie's lived up around the corner you know where that nun where that person is for the homeless you know the big house there oh um sister sister Stanislaus Stanislaus yeah she's in it now is she yeah and you know who was living in that was that was wait now 
oh, a very unusual name it was. And there was a ballroom in that. And they were the gentry of Finglas years and years and years ago. Who was that then? I never remember them. But my mother did. And my mother used to tell us. And who bought it? Only Craigie's. The Merville Dairy crowd bought it. And some of them lived in that. And they're gone out of it. It's now. not you're not talking about Saint Helena's now. Oh no, I'm talking about where Sister Stanislaus is. Right. Do you know where that? Do you know. Well, where that's she, the convent area there. I thought. That's it. Yeah. 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 I'm talking to previous to that. All right. That was a private dwelling. No. That would have been a private house. Yeah, but I'm talking about now. We say my mother often used to talk about it, and it was in the early 1900s when she was young. All right. And it was there was a ballroom in it, and it was carriages and gentry all going up and down there and there was a place for their horses and all and there was a lot of people employed stubs was it no i can't remember the name it'll come back to well, me was it just a big farm well well that'd yeah. be that'd be a long I, I don't know but i remember craigie's living in it myself one of the craigie sons was in it and they sold it over then of course and uh, they gave it to the holy faith nuns because they're their uh, convent was gone right. and their convent went and uh, but now getting back to this you know the lane that brings you from there down to the main road now how will I explain this to you when you come to the Jolly Topers there's a lane yes the lane to the left as you're coming having come from the village of Finglas and, and you're, you're toper, still to- and, you're sti- and you go round the corner go round by it yeah. yes and that'll bring you down you know where that brings you out? No, where did that come out? That brings you out to the bottom. Now, to the Spanish nuns. Yes. It'll bring you right out there. Now, wait till I tell you. When the people died from any pair in Finglas, they were brought to the church. They left this area and they were brought down the road. They were brought from that down to the Royal Oak on a bearer. The... the carriage would be the what do you call it? the carriage would be behind and the people all walked there was no such thing as mourner coaches around everyone walked unless somebody wasn't able to walk belong to they'd hire a car then and they just walked and they turned at the bridge and they walked straight up to Finglas and when they got to the bottom of the town as we called it the bells will toll and if it was in the winter time they were in by Five at half four or five o'clock into the church, and the next morning they'd be mass, but they weren't taken out of the church until evening at half four, and they were brought well four o'clock, and were brought down the town on the bearer, right around be the blind lane, as we'll call it, and right around be the jolly topers, and right around there, and down back down the hill and into the graveyard. And my mother and father and my grandparents and all belonged to me. Everyone, all of everyone that died around here did that until the corporation took it over. Right. Now, that was the custom. That was the custom then. And in summertime, it was eight o'clock in the evening you were buried. Everybody congregated because it was a bright evening. Everybody was able to go. And in the winter evening, my father died in November and it was early. And my mother died in the month of May, and our funeral was. Now, I have an aunt living, and she's 98 years of age, the 11th of April of this year. And she'd be buried up there. And the priest, it was half past eight and 11 mass. And the children, when we'd go to mass at 11, I had my three sisters, and we'd walk from here up to Finglas to 11 o'clock mass. And Father Russell would be standing on the steps as I tell you, and the children went to one side and we got together, you know, for to let room. But you see, when the place got bigger, and I'd say in 1954, 55, 56, they had to extend the church and they put the two annex onto it. And it cost a lot of money, of course, to do it. But uh, you won't believe this. Father Russell was sick the time I was getting married. And I loved him, but I loved Father. I, I, like he, we used to run dances and all, and the priest would sit there and he'd have a big top. He was from Newtown, Mount Kennedy, and we'd bring him in a cup of tea and all. And we were all young ones. We loved him. 
and he was such a nice man and we'd Kitty Connor used to take the coats and every penny we got we'd give it to the to the to, to the church you know but uh, unfortunately or fortunately I don't know but it was Father Furlong married me because he was sick and he was at home in his own house in Finglas that's gone now unfortunately and uh, who used to give him all the attention we had a great relationship with the Protestants because if we were running something in our hall we sent all invitations and if they were running something we got our invitations and we were all one there was no such thing as any anything between us in any shape or form we were all one and uh, in saying that uh, when he was dying this is Father Father Russell it was on his last couple of weeks on this earth he was an old man at the time he gave an awful lot to Finglas and he was in Talca Park it's a Talca Park no Croke Park for Bloody Sunday there's another little bit of news for you he was in Croke Park for Bloody Sunday now he I often heard him say that and I know it's true what I'm saying and um, who waked him and stopped with him and looked after him as much as the Catholics did was the Craigie brother, Craigies. Who would have been a Protestant family. Yeah, and we but that's that's the unity that we had in our area at that time. There was no such thing as one or the other. We were all one. You did what you wanted to do, nobody mind. You were just a human being doing what you wanted to do. And that's the way it should be. But in saying that, um he had a nephew, now I may be wrong on this, his name was Dan Mokler and he was training to be a priest. When I say training, I don't know whether he was started or what, he was a fine big fellow. And I remember I went in to see Father Russell, we were allowed in, a few of us to see him and he was sick and he wasn't well. When that, when he got bad then we weren't allowed to go in, but he was, he, he was there with him all the time. I don't know whether he ever made a priest or not, but he went out of our reach wherever he went. Yes, uh, there was a big house where the bank was, where the bank is now, and there was a schoolmaster was in it, and it was a three-storey house, three huge, big, big house, and next to that was people by the name of Smarts, and they had a lovely house, a lovely old country cottage, big family in it, and they had a lot of animals. Around the corner, then they had the post office, Luby's, was the people's name. And around the corner then, there was a sweet shop by the name of Mary Fagan. And they had a great sweet shop there. You're going up the Jamestown Road then, and there was about 10 houses, and it was facing Gofton Hall. Gofton Hall was a huge big big house there must have been about 15 or 16 rooms in it with a big big eagle on the top of it massive big gates going into it and who lived in that only the widow O'Donnell and Nellie Flood and that family that owned the two pubs in Finglas at that time and uh, you went up a little bit there was no other houses only two labourers cottages and there was greens. I think there's an optician in it now and something else, but the house is still there. And it's facing down for Finglas Village when you're walking up the near Super Quinn. You know the house I'm talking about? Now, then there was Jamestown Road, and there was very little on Jamestown Road. There was only a couple of labourers. And that's where Seamus Ennis lived up there. Then there was Mickey Avenue, which we called the Tinker's Lane. Did you ever know that? And the reason why we called it the Tinker's Lane was, of course, people doesn't like to used to say this, because there was only a couple of houses on it, a few cottages on it, and the Tinkers used to bill it to be near Dublin for Christmas, and they used to have their their carts and their wagons and all all packed along there, and we called the place the Watery Lanes. Did you ever hear of the Watery Lanes? No, I know Dubber Cross all right. No, well, well I, the, Dubber, the Watery Lanes, you're at the North Road. I don't know where I'd have been now and I'm telling you this. When you went up to the top of Mickey Avenue, which 
is Gatto and all is up there now. That's they were right. all fields. They were yes. all fields. It was yeah. all fields. You turn to your left for the du- the double road is up there. Yes. And the first factory that was built up there was wasn't Gatto, because we worked for Gatto to draw the flower, and we used to draw the curtains and that. That was before everything would came in bulk and it was lorried. It wasn't in. And there was another factory across the road and there was two Duffies lived and she was a terrific violinist, Nan Duffy. And Rose Duffy was the two sisters and Tom Duffy was a brother. And they, were, they had a father that had an immaculate garden and they were great musicians. And Tom was a piper and Nan was the violinist and Rose got married. And we knew them and when you turned to your left, instead of going up for Dubber, you went down to a place and they called it the Watery Lanes. And there was Mrs. Hines. I can see her still see her, she's a little grey-haired woman. And I remember as well as anything, the morning that she died. And the mass was in Finglas. And we went down. They carried her around the town as usual, where I said. And they brought her in and put her in the graveyard.